Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip for Halloween about the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery, a meaty middle about peer editing, and a tidbit about using calendar as a verb. It turns out it's common in certain professions. And now on to our quick and dirty tip. Graveyards and cemeteries are both places we bury our dead, but technically they have slightly different meanings. Cemetery is the much older word, going back to Roman times. Today, a cemetery is a large burial ground, typically not associated with a church. The first citation in the Oxford English Dictionary for graveyard comes from 1767, and a graveyard is typically smaller than a cemetery and is often associated with a church. It's part of the churchyard. Cemetery appears to be the more commonly used word today, perhaps because it's been around longer, perhaps because people like the sound of it better, or perhaps because there are so many more people buried in cemeteries because they're so much bigger than graveyards. It was actually the population growth in Europe that led to the creation of large cemeteries because the small churchyards couldn't hold all the dead anymore. So I'm inclined to think the popularity as a resting place is also the reason the word is more popular. But that's just a guess. And here's a bonus. Do you know why sailors called the late shift the graveyard watch? It's not because you feel like you're going to die, although that may be true while you're adjusting to the odd hours. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, sailors called the shift from midnight to 4 a.m. the graveyard watch because of the silence and because of the number of disasters that occurred during these wee hours. And that's your quick and dirty tip. Most people don't know the difference between a cemetery and a graveyard, and not all dictionaries even call out a difference, so you're not likely to be criticized for using them wrong. But if you want to feel precise, you can use the word cemetery when you prowl around a huge urban burial ground, and graveyard when you linger in the burial ground next to a small country church. Sounds too scary for me. <laughs> and now on to peer editing. Everyone needs an editor, even the most successful authors, journalists, and scholars. Likewise, peer editing is an essential part of the process for student writers who want to improve and succeed. Editing a classmate's work, though, can be a little stressful for the writer and editor alike. But don't fret the next time you're asked to be a peer editor. It's totally possible to offer helpful feedback without sending both you and your classmate into a spiral of despair. Your process will vary depending on whether you're working in groups in a classroom setting or taking someone else's essay home to review more in-depth. In either situation, the following approach can help you prove your editing prowess. First, though, here are two reminders about what peer editing is not. It is not a chance to influence the writer's argument to fit your own opinions. And it is not a time to give extensive thoughts that will overwhelm the writer rather than focusing on whether the essay has a clear and well-made argument that's well-written. With that in mind, try this three-step approach next time you're asked to be a peer editor. Read first and judge later. 
The first step is to read the essay all the way through without making any marks or comments. It may be difficult, but this is an important step in understanding how to structure your feedback. An initial full reading will help you get familiar with the writer's style and understand the points the essay is making before you draw any conclusions with your feedback. During this first reading, focus on what the writer is trying to say and make sure the points he or she is making are clear. Then, once you've gotten to the end, think on a broad level about whether the overall arguments fit together. Questions to ask yourself at this point include, does the essay meet the criteria for the assignment? Is there a clear thesis statement? And does the essay support that thesis with clear topic sentences in the paragraphs that follow? And are there portions that drift off topic or undeveloped conclusions in the closing section? Next, read the essay again and start editing. Go through the essay again from the beginning with your pen ready this time. Highlight sections where you want to record comments or questions. You can also use this second reading to mark any grammatical errors or awkward wording you spot. Look at the writing more closely for common stylistic issues, such as run-on sentences, illogical shifts from past to present tense, and redundancy. Remember to make note of not only what parts may need improvement, but also parts you think are especially strong. An important element of the peer editing process is to make sure you're emphasizing the positives as well as the negatives. If you note some strengths alongside your suggestions for changes, that'll make the writer feel more confident and more receptive to constructive criticism. Finally, complete a peer editing checklist to put your thoughts in order for the writer. This will help you figure out whether any key elements are missing and make sure you've addressed all the main components of the essay. It's a good idea to save filling out the checklist for last to save yourself from having to start over after you've fully processed your thoughts. If you're peer editing in a class, your professor may have already given you a specific worksheet or checklist to use for feedback. If not, there are lots of templates for these types of checklists available online through campus writing centers. I'll put a link to a couple of them on the transcript of this article at quickanddirtytips.com. You can also create your own checklist, customized to the assignment. Finally, remember that there will often be some nervousness on both sides going into the peer editing process. The writer may be dreading negative feedback, while the peer editor may hesitate to be critical or may feel unqualified to critique another student's work. Just remember that no one's asking you as the peer editor to be an expert on writing or anything else. You're simply another set of eyes to look for potential issues, and that makes you a valuable resource for your classmates. And hopefully they'll return the favor next time you need a critical eye, too. That segment was written by Laura Vegman, a contributing writer for Varsity Tutors, a live learning platform that connects students with personalized instruction to accelerate academic achievement. Thanks, Laura. Finally, I have a tidbit about using the word calendar as a verb. Last week, I saw this sentence in an email newsletter. Be sure to calendar some of this week's activities. Be sure to calendar, meaning be sure to put these on your calendar. It jumped out at me as odd, 
I've never seen calendar used that way before. And since I always find new word uses interesting, I tweeted a picture of it. And what surprised me was not all the people cringing and saying how they hate it when people verb nouns, which is a topic for another day, but that so many people actually use calendar this way all the time. As is so often the case when you notice something that seems new, it's not new. One who works in sales says it's commonplace, as does Jess, who said she might say, I've calendared five vendor interviews. And I got many messages from people who work in law saying it's common in courts and legislatures. An attorney named Tom gave the example, the case is calendared for the third week in November. And Iva gave the example, the bill is nowhere if the chair won't calendar it. Even the Texas A&M Writing Center uses it. They teach grad students how to calendar. In other words, how to set realistic goals and plan out dissertation writing in manageable chunks. I was blown away. I also checked the OED, and calendar as a verb goes all the way back to the 1400s. Although, back then it meant to record something or register it in a list which makes sense because the word calendar comes from the Latin word calendarium, which means account book. Today, the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary has it listed as a verb with an example from the New York Law Journal, and it's also listed as a verb in Dictionary.com and the Online American Heritage Dictionary. In fact, I couldn't find a dictionary that didn't include calendar as a verb. There's absolutely no way we can say it's new. The best I can tell is that to talk about calendaring things is common in the legal profession and in some business settings, and now it's seeping into more general use. And to me, that's fascinating. Thanks for all your messages. Thank you this week also to the people who showed me where they listen. Lindsay listens at her desk at work where she's a children's book managing editor and copy editor. Bob listens by a beautiful river in Asheville, North Carolina, that even has an adorable red water wheel. And Nick in Seattle listened this week while stuck in a rainy traffic jam in Seattle, and I have definitely been there. Thanks again. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. My updated AP Style interactive webinar is finally out. I'll put a link in the show notes that you should be able to see on your phone or MP3 player, and I've posted a few links to my social media accounts, so if you're interested, you should be able to find it. If your office does professional development, this is a great course because you and your coworkers can watch it together. That's all. Thanks for listening.